Hello, welcome to the Sarah Sloan Show, where we still regularly break wind. My name is Sarah Sloan, and my duty, my responsibility, my life, my mission is to bring you an interesting, exciting, and thrilling podcast. Hope you're having a, w- a wonderful day doing what you do. That's so good, it makes you want to slap your mama. Just kidding, don't do that. Thank you for giving me your time, and let's jump into what we have today. All right, guys, I hope you guys are well. Uh, it's been a while since I've done a podcast. I said I was going to be better about that. Call me a liar because I did lie. So sorry. I am so excited. We have two guests. Um, my dad is here joining us. And so Dante and Rebecca. Dad, could you do a bit of an introduction? Well, we met Dante and Rebecca way back. And I guess we arrived in 1994 at um, this small tr- tr- uh, storefront church in Hialeah, Florida. And... Uh, it was, it was a wild ride <laughs> during those years, and we were sure didn't know what we were getting into. But anyway, as we arrived at this small Assemblies of God Church, uh, Dante and Rebecca were there, and uh, with their uh, growing family, I would say at that point. <laughs> and anyway, we really have not been in touch for a lot of years because that would have been since about '97. Uh, when they left, and yet um, through, I think, social media, I believe my my wife, Mariela, was able to get in touch with Rebecca, and through that, we realized that we were not too far apart. (laughs) A couple hours is not so far, and God allowed us, I guess, in May, end of May, to meet up, and since then, we were hoping to have a visit, and it's come to fruition. So we're thankful for that. And so let's see what the Lord has for this uh, podcast this evening. Yeah, I just wanted to start off just hearing how you guys met. <laughs> oh, us too? Oh. Oh, and if you could bring the mic just a little bit closer to your oh, mouth. Okay. Yeah. yeah, maybe just grab it and scoot it over. Um, yeah, yeah, just hearing the, the story. <laughs> <laughs> Wife is asking me to edit that. So. <laughs> <laughs> short version or the long version? <laughs> Content. <laughs> um, I'd recently moved into my grandparents' house uh, through a uh, difficult situation uh, that I had left uh, growing up with my, my dad. And uh, my grandparents took my brother and I in, and we were staying at their, their house, and Rebecca friend Jane uh, lived across the street and Jane and her and their you know the other girls were all meet together over there and and we just my brother and I decided to go introduce ourselves and uh, well now before that um we were bored we were sitting in the porch <laughs> I wasn't gonna go there <laughs> but okay you open the cans <laughs> It was me and my friend Jane, and uh, it was summer. We were so bored. We didn't have anything to do. And I noticed this really skinny guy across the street. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I thought, hey, Jane, watch. And I whistled. And he looked, and and of course, I was hiding the whole time. And she so didn't know I could we, see her. I thought that time. was the funniest uh. thing to do, just to, to get a reaction. <laughs> and so, <laughs> how, how old after, were you at that point? 
14. <laughs> That's and what kids did for fun back exactly. then. Exactly. Yeah, I was 14. Uh, 18. Okay. We were four, four years apart. Yeah. Wow, so you, that's actually pretty so gutsy. So you had a 14-year-old yeah, whistling yeah. and an 18-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just to get a reaction. Um, he was skinny, bushy-haired, and yeah. It looked like Archie from yeah, the Archies. Yeah, Archie cartoons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So that, that's, uh, I think that was uh, what prompted him to finally one day cross the street and say, who is whistling? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how we met. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah shortly after that, um, started going to church with her and her family. And I came from a Catholic background. And at that time, I was... Getting spiritually hungry is like, to me, there's got to be a lot more than just kneeling in front, on the pew and standing up, kneeling, sitting down. It seemed a little too routine-ish for me, and boy, what an experience it was when I went to my wife's church and with her family. They were, uh, were Pentecostals, and that uh, experience in a worship, uh, seeing Pentecostals for the first time was an interesting experience. It wasn't intimidating to me. I mean, it was different. Uh, I was curious. I was open-minded about it. I'm like, there's got to be, you know, what is it to the to all this? Mm-hmm. And uh, kept going with with them, with her her family, and they would pick me up. We went to church with them and everything. And then as time went by, uh, I was getting ready to graduate high school, and Went over to her parents' house, asked them to uh, for her hand, and we got married. We got married in a, uh, a Church of God church. I was seventeen, and you were about going to be twenty-one. Yeah, and uh, graduated high school and went straight into the military, into the army. After that, um, September of eighty-two, and probably what was it, December of. 83 I came back I think it was December of 83 I was already in Germany and I, no mm-hmm. no it was October wasn't it it was when the Marines got uh, barracks got bombed in 83 in Lebanon mm-hmm. and I was already home on leave uh, which I believe was I want to say it was, it was October we, yeah that's right because that's when October we, of 83 I remember you mentioning it, it October of 83 October. Because mm-hmm. you were going to get married that month. And I was home on leave. Wow. And we got married. Uh, I went back to Germany in about a month later or two. A couple in, months. In December, she flew over and joined me in Germany and spent our my military time together. Uh, we went to Fort Hood here in Texas. And completed my military service, and we went back home. Uh, we decided to go back to the church we got married in and uh, started to have our family about four years after uh, I got out of the military. Mm-hmm. And um, met a friend of mine uh, who wanted to get into church planting. And we joined the Assemblies of God uh, Church and went over to Springfield, Missouri, where they were having a church planting seminar. Mm-hmm. And came back and began to visit people. And we opened a storefront church 
uh, in our neighborhood in Hialeah, Florida, hmm. and started the church there. Uh, started the congregation, and people were coming, and, then, and that's how we met Tom and and, and Mariella, your yeah. parents. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So wait, uh, how long were you living in Germany? Uh, he was there for what was it? Back then it was what, a year and a half? 18 months. 18 months. Yeah. And I was only there for about eight, eight of those months. Okay. Mm-hmm. How did you guys like it? It was challenging in one respect because it was the first time we were both uh, in another country together. It was the first time that we were both uh, away from our where we grew up, our friends, our family, and what was familiar to us if we were in another country. I was a combat medic, and I was stationed with a ground ambulance unit that supported uh, medical coverage to all the uh, units that went out and trained in uh, the hills and of Germany and mm. combat uh, artillery units and whatnot. And we had two teams, and we had like probably 24 ambulances or whatnot in my unit, so I spent like an average of about nine months out of the year sitting in an ambulance behind mm-hmm. uh, tanks that were on a mm-hmm. range firing or something like that. So I did spend a, a lot of time away from her, but when we were together, we did get to travel a little bit. Uh, we had some friends that we had met, and we traveled a little bit, and that was really nice. Yeah. And we spent about nice. 18 months there, and then I got... Uh, reassigned to uh, Fort Hood over here in Texas and mm-hmm. spent about another 18 months there, maybe? About a year there. But, but year? Germany was great. It was yeah. beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it was. Very uh, clean and the countryside's very, you know, it, it, look, it looks almost like a drawing, the way everything is so p- perfectly laid out. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice little European roads that curve around the mountainsides, the uh, vineyards up on the... Mm-hmm. Lined up along the hills, mm-hmm. very clean country. Uh, you get to ride in the Mercedes Benz taxi and <laughs> take curves at fifty miles an hour mm-hmm. and hold on to the edge of your seat. You know, it's, that was a harrowing experience, but it was fun. And what yeah. are the people like? Oh yeah, they're great, great people. Yeah, very open, friendly. The older people uh, were more receptive, and the very young people. The older people because uh, they remember when in World War Two when the NATO forces were there to liberate them from from you know hitler and whatnot the middle uh, the younger kids uh were not so receptive they were anti-american troops there because uh i guess it was the height of the cold war and they didn't want us in their country you know with all the, and they were against all the uh, nuclear weapons being there you know mm-hmm. whatnot so some of them were you know they they were American friendly, but others, you know, mm-hmm. kind of uh, jealous that we were there. Um, so it was a mix. But overall, uh, it was a nice experience going through these little German towns. These little kids were run up to you when we stopped. And, you know, it was nice to see their face light up when you took off, gave them your hat or you took off one of your little your little rank insignias mm-hmm. that you had and gave it to them. It's like it really made their day, you know. So that was a nice experience. The food was really good, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the food was really good. German food. I don't even. I don't even know what that entails. Um, there's a sandwich. There's the there's food. a sandwich that we had called a schnitzel sandwich. A schnitzel sandwich is like breaded pork. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, like a sandwich kind of thing. And in my opinion, they're the best fries in the world. 
It's really Pomf- good. Pomfrets. They're called pomfrets. <laughs> yeah. Pomfrets. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Would you ever want to go back? Oh yes, we, we definitely. We yeah, it's in our bucket list to ride the train throughout Europe. You mm-hmm. know, drive you know ride a train through the Alps or something like that. Or we we've gone on YouTube and seen uh, Rick Steves travels through <laughs> Europe and stuff. It's like mm-hmm. oh my gosh, we yeah. gotta do that. We gotta mm-hmm. do that. That's so exciting. Yeah. So that's on our bucket list one day to go back there. We have some friends that live over there and probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we still Stay keep in touch. Wow. Yeah. How long have you guys been married? This past October made... Uh, uh, let's see. Don't give me that look. <laughs> so many years I usually you can't remember. even count. You know, I do remember. <laughs> he usually does. It was 37. Yeah. 37. Yeah, wow. 37 years. Any advice for young listeners in the audience on marriage, how to make it last a long time? You have to learn to compromise. It's, uh, you have to learn to sacrifice, you know, it, it, it involves sacrifice, you know, and compromise so that you can mesh your relationship together. And that's a lifelong process. Uh, try to curb your ambitions, you know, and, or at least try to join them together and validate your, your spouse's ideas and, and their thoughts. Validate, communicate, listen. You know, and let love be your 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 energizer, your force, you know, the factor that motivates you, propels you to work through through issues and things, you know. Uh, get premarital counseling. I highly recommend that. Yeah. You know, even if you're pretty sure how you feel about each other, you know, give yourself that time to date and to get to know each other and do the premarital counseling, you know, to, so that you under, you have an understanding what marriage is about, what's really about, what it entails. It's a lifelong commitment. We, like Rebecca said, we were young kids, you know, we had no idea what, you know, what it meant to be, you know, married or, you know, the commitments mm-hmm. that entailed being married and everything. So it was pretty rocky for us when we, when we first got together, you know, in Germany, we were really on our own. But I think Germany was our saving grace because there was nowhere to run to except we just had each other. Mm. And at times it was pretty tumultuous because we were dealing with, you know, everybody, you know, everybody brings some baggage into your relationship and we had ours and we brought ours together to Germany, you know, and we were, it was a learning experience for us, but I think uh, it kept us together because it forced us to uh, learn how to work through things, you know, through issues that naturally will come up in a relationship. They always do. Yeah. What about you, Rebecca? I think that, um, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I think that in itself uh, developed a foundation in my life of to, you know, loving and fearing God and knowing that, um, you know, that he has a certain will for, for us and marriage you know, if I mean, you don't have to get married, uh, you know, but if you choose to, that there is that expectation that it's, you know, f- you know, till death do you part. And I think, you know, my parents were st- 
together and uh and I think that I I've always had that respect for marriage and uh understood that it was it was a serious you know, I mean not morbidly serious or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But it was a serious commitment. And, uh, and even though I was 17 years old when I got married, uh, I was pretty mature for my age, and um, I it wasn't playtime for me. I was committed in my heart, and uh, and I think that foundation probably helped us, you know, or helped me anyway, to when um, you know when he got stupid or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to think, you know, well, you know, he's your husband and, you know, you got to work this out. And so there was not, um, there was, there's no easy outs, basically. And I mm-hmm. think that that, um, that kind of helped me decide, well, we just got to fix it. When something goes wrong, we got to fix it or, you mm-hmm. know and of course, the Lord is a big part of that mm-hmm. fixing process, you know, because, you know, we can't do it on ourselves. But I think that that's pretty much, um, you know, when I look back and I think, how does a 17 year old get married with all my issues and, you know, doesn't run off like the first time, you know, something goes, you know, awry. But I think that it was just knowing the Lord and knowing, you know, what, you know, how he felt about marriage. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, even with celebrities, they last like nine years, like Kanye West and Kim Kardashian were like, nine years? Wow, amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. good for them. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We don't take marriage seriously and we don't compromise you know, it's, it's hard. I think it's really hard. So, um, yeah, that's encouraging to me. And then of course my parents have been married for a long time as Mm -hmm. well. So I'm here with two couples. My mom is sitting in the room, not with a microphone, but, uh, two couples that have really (laughs) had God at the center of the marriage, 17 years old. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I'm like, I'm trying to picture the 17 year olds in my life that I know, uh, getting married at that time. It's really God. Yeah, it has to be. It's know. a statistical miracle, you know, because yeah. mm-hmm. uh, there's people who are a lot older than that who even plan to, you know, their marriage and everything and think that they have the right idea or concept about what a marriage relationship is about. But I think what causes a lot of marriages to fail is this misconception that uh, or unwillingness to to, to sacrifice you know what you want there has to be like i said there has to be a compromise of what works for both of you it takes uh it takes uh a a dime to yourself how do you know when those moments are because there's probably some moments you're like no it it really probably should be my way it's a it's a it's a steady process it's a painful one but it's it's for good Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Yeah, uh, I think that um, you know, there's always those moments where you feel like you're in the right and they're in the wrong, 
and um, you, I mean, I, and this is not, um, this is not um, cool to say, I guess, nowadays, but there are roles in marriage, you know, there's the husband who's the head of the house, and then there's the wife, you know, and um, I think for me, um, I hated that, but I knew that that's just the way it was, and so I had to real I had to die to myself in that, but um, I always remember the Lord telling me, if you trust me and you do things my way, then. I can bless you. Mm. I can bless you. But if you try to do it your way, you may get your way, but it's not going to be a blessing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know? And so there was a lot of times where I was angry at the, even the fact that, you know, God, are you serious? serious you're wanting me to submit to this you know he's not even right I'm in the right and um, you know and God showed me a couple of times where um, I would just now I didn't do it perfectly all the time you know but the times when I did um, I I know that regardless how uh, how you feel not disqualified, but you feel like um, maybe you don't matter as much because you're the wife or your opinion doesn't count as much because you're the wife. But God does take you serious. And God does care about what you care about. And if you learn to trust him and you learn to to obey him, you know, um, then he will sh- he will he'll show you, uh, you know, maybe steps at a time that when you when you do what he says and and the way that he says it, um, you know, it may not turn out exactly what you want it to, but then you realize that, you know, maybe what you wanted wasn't really what you really wanted, you mm-hmm. know, but you you just surrender that to the Lord and He helps you to to grow and and to accept the fact that, you know, it's not going to be your way a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. And that goes for either of us. I mean, not I'm not saying that he had his way all the time either. It, it's a compromise where, you know, we both had to find a middle ground. I think a lot of our... Or clashes, if you will, when we did have conflict uh, started in a breakdown of communication, being reactionary to something your spouse said, being off guard. So what do we do when when something is said to us that sparks us to be defensive, where you rise up, you initiate a a knee-jerk reaction, you say something... Or do something that hopefully later on you realize, boy, that was a stupid thing to say or do. I remember at one time in the heat of our, in, in, in the height of struggle, I guess, if you will. I mean, 
And I got married. I had no idea what a role model as a good husband or father was about because that's not what I I experienced growing up in my family. I came from a very dysfunctional background, very. So I had no idea what what it looked like to be a good husband or a good father. I had a lot of this flawed, damaged template of what I learned in, in my background. And so I brought a lot of preconceived ideas of what my identity as a husband might be. And in heated most, uh, uh, moments of conflict, you, you act on those templates that you were given. And I think what has allowed us to survive as a couple all these years is our, our individual uh, love for God. Uh, there are a lot of things I've said and done that you know were mistakes and everything, but God's mercy was always there to help us through the heartaches, the anger, the uh, the rough times. Uh, even when we just didn't know what to do, we held on. We individually, we both held on to God. Even during the times where we felt estranged or couldn't talk to each other we're just in the in the midst of the dysfunctional carryover what we experienced in our own backgrounds so the big you know the foundation of our relationship is not so much that we learned the skills to be together as much as god you know being our foundation a merciful mm-hmm gracious you know and being learning how to be humble and admitting you know what i think what i said what i said was yeah that was stupid or was insensitive or what i did was just really wrong you know and just being honest and humble to take ownership and responsibility for your contribution Mm -hmm. to the messy times when you color outside the lines of marriage so like i said it's it goes back to compromising you know, yourself to learn how to validate who your spouse is as a person, validate what they say, learn to hear their heart, you know, and not be defensive. One thing I really strongly encourage people to do is allow God to get into your heart and help you to deal with, with your issues. Make that your life commitment to be whole. Because we all carry some kind of defect or into a relationship that we're not conscious until you get married. It's like what Paul says, you know, before there was a law, I didn't realize, you know, I was sinning until when law, you know, when I heard about the law, sin sprung, sprung to life in me and I died. You know, so... The flaw, you're not conscious of what flaws you have inside of you until it comes to being committed in a relationship. And then in that commitment, this stuff begins to manifest, you know, because you're living long enough with this person where you start seeing each other's imperfections and characteristics. That's why I initially said, don't ever be in a hurry to or rush to get married. Don't do that. Marriage is something that takes time to consider. It takes time for you to spend in someone that you're dating, that you are 
you're entertaining the, the, the notion or possibility of getting married, spend time with them and get premarital counseling so that you have an understanding of how all these dynamics work and how they come into play when you come together so that you'll have the tools to at least manage through those issues that will come up during the duration of your life and your relationship. And because a lot of, you know, a lot of people when to get together uh, in marriage, they're ignorant about how to deal with uh, communicating properly, how to speak through a situation, how to relax and take a time out when you're, when you're both, your emotions are getting up to a level where you're just not hearing each other anymore. You just, it's just this loud static of emotion. So you just cannot hear each other what you, the other's trying to communicate. So it becomes a contest of the other trying to speak louder than the other. And that's where our arguments come out. And that's where we get drawn into conflict. And that's where the damage occurs. Mm-hmm. So you need good communication skills. You need to have that understanding of what it means to communicate and when to back off and how to communicate, you know, work through issues and be humble enough to say, well, you know what, this is something that's uncharted that we're dealing with right now. Maybe we need to seek outside help to help us navigate because life is complicated. Things happen. And sometimes you need people who can see from the outside who can help you navigate through issues so you can get through it. For sure. Yeah, I like what you were saying about, uh, you know, your past experiences, the way that you lived as a family. Like, that's so true as far as relationships go. Even just things like how you vacation or how you, do you go out and eat? Well, my family never did, so we don't do that. You know, just simple things along those lines that you have to kind of mesh and become one. Um, Obviously, I'm not married. And, yeah, I want to be like what you're saying. I strive to be like that where I don't want to rush into it um, without knowing what I'm doing because... As you were saying, Rebecca, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. What we were talking earlier about Jeff Bezos, uh, <laughs> divorce matters. <laughs> yeah, it does. I do I do want to say that I credit my mother's example for uh you know my uh mindset when it comes to marriage because she was a godly woman and she um I mean, not perfectly because, you know, you know, now as an adult, I can look back and say, you know, maybe my mom shouldn't have done that or, or, you know, but, um, but she, um, she does exemplify a godly and a humble, uh, wife. And, um, I never, ever heard my parents arguing. Never, ever. And, um, you know, growing up, and especially in my teenage years, you know, you're, you have so much going on and you're trying to develop your independence and you're trying to, you know, uh, find affirmation in, in your environment. And to me, my mom was like such an odd creature because, you know, my dad was not the easiest person to live with at all, wow. you know, but yet my mom was consistent and my mom, you know, just portrayed a spirit of humility and joy. My mom always had joy. Um, and, um, and that, to me, was a great example. And I have to say that your mother, because my mother was the first one, but when I met your, your, your mom, um, 
she portrayed that. And I saw her and your dad, and I saw, wow, there's number two. There's only two women that I have seen that portray that, you know, that example, that godly example. And um, and I would laugh so hard when your mom told me that, you know, when she was younger, she was like a flaming feminist, and she would get into these, like, uh, protests in her college campus, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and she said that one day she was hiding behind a car because something was happening, and she was in danger, <laughs> and then she, I hear her tell me all this stuff about, you know, how she was in her mindset, and I mean, she, and then I see her, you know, with your dad and that, that you know, that example. I'm thinking, Lord, this is so funny, you know, but how how God can change our hearts. Um, and, you know, because like I said, he has an order of things. And if, if you want his blessing and you want to, um, you know, pursue godliness, there's only one way to do it. And that's his way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and so, you know, I, I think that you have, you, I mean, you have such an amazing uh, example, mm-hmm. and that that in itself is going to help you when it's when you meet that person to know and to understand what the role of a godly wife is, you know, because. We do, we do have our parts, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, she says, uh, she said earlier, the husband is the head of the house. And and what was, I don't want to step on her and botch up what she said about the wife. The wife is to submit to her husband. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. yeah you know, the wife has, does have That's the most That's what the Bible submissive. says. Now, that is not by well, any means whatsoever a... Uh, a knock against uh, wives. It's not. It does not in any way mean women uh, women are uh, subservient to to men or to their husbands. Uh, God created men and women for their individual roles for a purpose, um, not for the men to be domineering over their wives. You know, in in for wives to try to be manipulative to get what they want from their husbands. These are all the fallen uh, practices that happen after the fall. God's model of marriage is that you embrace your role in who you are and that you allow the Holy Spirit to teach you what that, uh, what defines being a good husband, what defines being a good wife and, and implementing your gifts in your personality, in you know your you and who God made you to be in your individual marriage together, to learn how to to understand what your partner's love language language is, uh, and to be you know considerate and and listen, you know as I said before, communicate out of your role who you are to be an understanding husband and being respectful uh, towards your wife and validating her ideas and her perspective and how she sees a given situation. Uh, because uh, us men, it's easy for us to get frustrated and be dismissive about what your wife says when God in actuality speaks a lot to you through your, what your wife says. 
uh, case in point was she she was telling me the other day about something that was really a, a hard pill for me to swallow. <laughs> she said, you know, you have a hard time. You have an expectation that you, you, you want people to meet a certain need that you have. And you get all kind of bent out of shape and you don't get that. And she's... It was hard for me to hear that because she was touching on something that was very personal and close and real to me because my my relationship with my dad growing up was very uh, harsh, very abusive. And so he was not the ideal role as a, as a father and had a lot of significant father wounds. And so I, to me, I went around trying to fill that void. But after a while, it's like the Lord had to speak to me and, and show me that, mm. you know, God wants to fill only what he can fill in your life. I mean, people are going to let you down. If if you try to unfairly take from people what they don't have the capacity to give you or what they were never created to do, then you set yourself up for a continual disappointment. Mm. So it's a hard lesson to, to hear, but... She was right. Point being is that, you know, sometimes God speaks in such a way that it's, it's painful to hear it. But his motive for saying it is, you know, we need to see something in a different light, even though it's difficult to, to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, thankfully, through his grace, he, he gives us, he's patient with us and he gives us time. He deals with the heart to give us the understanding of what it means. Yeah. Growing in Christ, growing in your relationship with God, growing in your relationship with your spouse is not easy. There's no fairy tales, you know, there's, there's no sugarcoating what it's like to be married. It's, it's a very hard, hard endeavor. Mm-hmm. But that's what it takes to, to be molded and to grow into what God wants you to be, you know. Uh, a sword, when it's created, is raw metal material full of impurities, and the, uh, gosh, what's the word? Uh, the one who yeah. makes the, the, the one who makes the, works with metals. Is it a black, blacksmith? Blacksmith. blacksmith. I'm sorry, blacksmith. The blacksmith has to subject that metal to continuous exposure to heat. And it's a traumatic process. He's got to let that heat burn into that metal to where it's glowing red hot. He takes it out and he pounds it Mm. and molds it into shape, subjects it into water to cool it down, but then resubjects it into the heat. So in the process, the impurities that are in the metal are, are burned out of it. And then the metal is strengthened through this hot and cold process and molding it at the same time. So it comes out as the finished image of what he wants it to look like. And it's able to endure the heat and the trauma of conflict. So life is kind of uh, the same thing. God forges us out of the, out of the conflict and, and, uh, of life. And it's, a worth, it's worth the process because who you become and, and the other side of the process is, I mean, I could 
look back at many things I went through in my life, and it'd be easy to say, well, blame God. And God, where were you? Why weren't you there? Why did you allow these things, all this stuff to happen? And I know there's a lot of people out there who think the same thing. You know, you know, there's thoughts going through your mind right now. You're, you're remembering something you went through, and you question, you know, God, where were you? Why did you allow this to happen to me? It's not up to us to question why God allows things to happen like that, but to just remember he, he, he's with us through everything. And even though we don't understand why he lets us go through things that are traumatic, but it's for a good purpose. God's wisdom is far more greater than ours, beyond our capacity to understand why he allows things to happen, but we have to trust. We have to trust him, even though we don't understand a lot of things that we've gone through. That's what I've had to do is trust. And God doesn't always bring all the answers, but I'm encouraged when I see what he's done in my life through what I've gone through and bringing me all through the other side. Uh, He's used me in the ministry called Mending the Soul where we help people in a support group recover from past traumas and it was a great experience seeing how God ministered to people and helping them recover from their childhood experiences the biggest thing in my life that I never realized was really affecting me so much was toxic shame that's a big thing that affects a lot of people you carry that in your relationship with your with your spouse and it comes up when you hear trigger words that you interpret and it brings up that shame and what happens when we feel shame we get angry we get defensive we get reactionary so if you don't recognize what toxic shame is in your life and how it's been there and how it's molded your thought process it becomes a platform a stronghold that you use to view how yourself and life and people around you and it forms a uh, a process, a dysfunctional process with how you cope and how you defend yourself uh, based on misconceptions that you have. Wow. Yeah. It's a stronghold, you're saying? Toxic shame is, I, to me, we, we spent two weeks alone on, on, on the topic of toxic shame because toxic wow. shame is insidious. Toxic shame speaks to you in the first uh, uh, voice and it says, I'm broken. And you look yourself in the mirror, you hear this thought, I'm irreparably broken. Mm. I'm dirty. I'm unredeemable. I'm a failure. This is what toxic shame speaks to you in, in your soul, in your mind. And if you don't recognize it, you adopt that and you think, that's what you're thinking about yourself. Toxic shame is a hidden platform that Satan will use to skew your identity, blind you of the truth of who you really are in Christ. So until you come to where you're able to identify shame in your life and deal with it, I mean, that's it affects every, every aspect of your life. And when... The Holy Spirit showed me that toxic shame, and I was able to recognize it. I was healed from it. I was set free. When you're healed from toxic shame, 
you become whole in your spirit, in your soul. There's no more platforms for Satan to use against you to draw you into conflict with your spouse. Why are, why are we engaged in conflict towards one another? Not, not only with your spouse, but with anybody. Why, what draws you into conflict? It's because sometimes there's unresolved issues in your soul, in your heart, that Satan uses as a platform to lie to you and cause you to misinterpret maybe what's being said to you. And then you believe those lies and you feel, you know, I got to go up and I got to defend this. Satan uses what I call the ring of self-reliance. What is that? The ring of self-reliance is when Satan lies to you and deceives you and pulls you into a situation where you take matters into your own hands. And that's where he wants you to be so that he can have legal access to control and get you and, and, and wreak his destruction in that any given situation. So when we believe, you know... We don't have a lot. We don't. We don't have a proper understanding of what our identity is, and so we. There's a certain issue that's coming up, and when we believe, you know, I've got to rise up and deal with this thing. That's exactly where the devil wants you to be is in that place, so he can, you know, he's got a he's got a foothold to you know cause damage. So, in this case, in, in particular with toxic shame, when you get that out, you can't be drawn in to conflict. When you deal with father wounds or even mother wounds, when you deal with the platforms of unresolved issues in your life and you and those are removed, you can't be drawn into conflict. And people are gonna display their mess, they're gonna they're gonna do their thing because they're they have is unresolved issues, but you can't be pulled into it because you have spiritual clarity about what you're seeing and you're not being affected by it. Yeah, that's so true. There's been instances where someone says something to me that I could look back and have been very offended by, but I'm not. And then, but then there's been the opposite occurrence where, you know, I shouldn't have been offended, and then I was. Mm. And I see it's like both extremes a lot for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it might be a little bit of that, mm -hmm. the toxic shame. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, and of course that always ties into marriage because marriage is just another aspect of relationships. And so yes. it's just a really concentrated mm -hmm. full 24-7. <laughs> yeah, never turn it off relationship. Right, right, right. So it's a little bit different in that sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, but you know, this is this is one aspect uh, that I, th I don't think people talk about a lot. Uh, friendships. And sometimes you need to even break up with your friends. <laughs> And it can tend to be even harder than breaking up with a boyfriend or girlfriend. Mm. Yes. Well, yeah, absolutely. But these friends that you have in your life, mm -hmm. you know, people always say the five people closest to you are who you become. Yeah. Sometimes you got to break off a few of those. And um, you're giving these friends full access to influence you and change you sure. and morph you. Yes. Um, so that's kind of what I thought of. It doesn't 100% tie in, but yeah. Right. Yeah, these friendships. Yeah, some of them are toxic. They're they're uh, toxic soul ties. Yeah, that uh, you're tied to, and and you have to recognize. You know, when you when you get married, 
your priority should be your spouse. And that's not a bad thing. It's just uh, your friends, you know, you had a, a, a relationship with your friends at the time when you were single, but then your life changes and your priorities need to change when, you know, when you're esteeming your, your spouse. And sometimes people, like you say, people have a hard time disconnecting from those friendships because it's a soul tie that needs to be broken you know unfortunately it it causes havoc in some marital marital relationships because one spouse or the other doesn't understand why they can't hang out with their friends anymore mm-hmm. you know they get defensive oh you know we need to you know i just want to go and blow off steam with the guys at the bar or, or you know the wife want to go out you know with her girlfriends at the bar or something like that and and if you don't understand what's going on, then yeah, those issues are going to cause a wedge in your relationship, and if they're not dealt with, then yeah, it'll cause detrimental problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, people usually don't even really analyze that, and even the way that you become friends with people, they don't give it a second thought. They don't pray about it. Usually, you, a good Christian, quote unquote, a good Christian would pray before they start dating someone. You know, God, is this really the one you have for me? Like, I need to be careful. Yes. Don't want anything bad to happen. But with friendships, it's just, boom, we're friends. No prayer right. involved. No. <laughs> yeah. It, but yet, like I was saying before, it's a it's a very impactful relationship in your life. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, because they can influence you in so many areas, you know. Um, you know, I mean, you are your, cho- you know, the choices that you make. And friends can be a great influence in those, you know. I mean, even um, I've had friends, you know, that um, were great friends. And I thought, wow, you know, there's such a connection. And and you think, wow, you know, they, they're, you know, they're Christians, they know the Lord. And, and then there's... There comes a time when you don't understand, but it's whatever was there, that connection seems to not be there anymore. And um, it's kind of, uh, you know, upsetting. And it's, um, you know, you go through a process of wondering what happened. Was it me? Or did, you know, what's going on? And, you know, sometimes. They're, they're there for that season in your life, and then you just, you know, you, you, you each go your own way, and that's okay. There's not a rift. There's not, you know, any bad feelings, but there is, like, just, you know, wandering, you know, or drifting away from each other, and that's okay. And, you know, and then there's friendships. You know, I'm very guarded about my friendships. <laughs> I am very guarded about my friendships. I I am friendly to everybody, but I don't have very many friends. You know, I don't. Um, I, you know, I can be at work and um, and be friendly and be, um, you know, cordial and 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 be you know mindful of what their people are going through and telling me and I'll care I'll pray for them you know but um like when I go to work 
And even when I used to work in a secular environment, environment, I would tell people, you know, and not in a bad way, but, um, you know, just when I felt the need to do it, I would tell them, hey, guys, I don't, I don't come to work to make friends. (laughs) I come to work to work. I'm here for a paycheck. (laughs) I would tell them, I'm here for a paycheck. (laughs) And and not that I was callous or anything, because I was friendly. And if you needed anything, you know, I would be there. But I wasn't the type to hang in the water cooler and just chit chat with, you know, people. I'm here to do my job. Like I would go, I would be working, you know, people would be talking and chatting. I'd be working. And I never, I never felt left out because I didn't want to be (laughs) at the water cooler talking to people. You know, I didn't need to know what was going on, you know, and, um, and, and even at church, uh, I'm very guarded to, uh, you know, in that sense. And, um, I'm sensitive to people's needs and I try to help and, and, (laughs) but, um, but I, you know, and it may be something that I need to work on. <laughs> Maybe I need to be a little more friendly. I don't know. But I, it's not that I'm not friendly. But I, I just don't open myself up very easily to people, you know. Um, not that I'm not sincere because, you know, I am who I am and I'm not going to pretend to be anything other than what I am. But um, I don't really, like, you know, open up myself to you know I, I i feel like i'm i'm i live a really good full life i have friends and um and i try to be sensitive to minister to people if they have a need you know um but and maybe it's my age <laughs> i don't know <laughs> maybe it's my age but um but i think the older you get the deeper your friendships are, the probably less friends that you have. I don't know. Maybe, I, that is for me, the case, you know. But uh, but yeah, I, I think that regardless what age you are, definitely guard yourself as who you let in, you know. And it could just be for a season, you know. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think you're as our country should be. You have borders and and boundaries and we believe in borders yes yeah Mm. you know i think that's important uh yeah for some people it's like they have no boundaries and you can do whatever you want with them anytime you need them they're hanging out they'll do whatever they need to do for you and then it happens yeah and they get sick of you yeah yeah and then they just they just throw you off um because you essentially are abusing them yeah. Uh, you're overusing them as a resource and not really valuing them as a person. Yeah. Um, so I think, I don't think you're being mean or antisocial. And as you said before, you're always willing to minister and you're always willing to be friendly mm-hmm. with work. Yeah, I think that's smart. You're there to do a job. <laughs> Just, you got to do it. I am, I am. Yeah, so I, I really respect that. There's been some friendships in my life where it's like, um, uh, they're good and then we stop being friends but no one says anything like, you know, and then we pick it back up maybe a few years later and it's great and it's wonderful. Uh, there's been a few friends where um, they were wanting it to end and I wasn't mm-hmm. and then vice versa. Um, yeah, you know, more of a recent situation where it was like they were really 
wanting to continue to be my friend, I was like, hey, <laughs> the season is over. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it would just be too, like, it'd be really hard to continue this. And it's not like there's any hatred, but mm -hmm. it was almost, I think that they, me pushing them away, did kind of create some hatred in their heart for me. Mm -hmm. But it's hard. Yeah. You can't be hard. friends with everyone. And especially, you guys have moved so many different places. Um, if you spent all your time talking to the people you were last with, you know, mm -hmm. at the last state or whatever, you wouldn't have any time for the people that God brought you to be with now mm -hmm. in, in the present place. So it's like you have to balance that. Yeah, like for me with college, I pretty much just stick with my two friends. Um, they're a married couple, and they're wonderful, very godly people. We agree pretty much on everything, and I really value them. And so it's pretty much them and no one else. Mm -hmm. And some people have wanted to continue to be friends with me. If I see them, great. I would love to talk to you, but I can't be calling you guys every week. <laughs> like, it's just not realistic, but I think that that's the problem. People feel like they're superheroes and they can just continue all their friendships all the time and make all the time in the world for their friends. Mm -hmm. And you got to live your life, especially once you're married, like you're saying. Uh, well, yeah. even when you are married, you, uh, it's human nature. We, 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 need, uh, we need friendship. We need fellowship with other mm. people. The thing is, though, ensuring that those relationships are kept in balance, in, in boundaries, or they are healthy. Um, home cell groups. I mean, couples, you know, and even people, we all need friendships or connections, you know, for support, you know, for us to see who the mentors are in our lives that we can live, uh, that we can learn from and also recognize who are the young people in experience wise who are, you know, who are under us that God has brought in our lives that we can pass on wisdom and understanding and advice to. So it's, it's not also, it's not about being a reclusive, you know, hermit or something like that you know on the other side of the, the coin if there's an issue if people just want to isolate themselves from everybody that's not good in, in and of itself either that's usually another indicator that there's something dysfunctional going on there that's unhealthy as well mm -hmm. you know so we do need to in a healthy level be healthy to be able to know what your boundaries are to say you know I don't need these relationships to validate who I am. I'm healthy and I'm content in who I am. I'm at peace with who I am. I don't need to be clingy or needy to people to try to find their approval so I feel good about myself. Because if you're, if you're struggling with that, then that's not healthy. Uh, that You set yourself up to be victimized by people who inherently... <coughs> Take advantage of that and, and abuse you over it and just go to you and make you do all kind of things that you eventually, like you say, you're going to get sick and tired of it. Yeah, yeah, there really is that balancing act. That's so true. Yeah, I guess just praying to God to help us do it right. It's hard to know how to how to follow it exactly right. I was going to ask you guys, this is just because I'm curious, um, is with friendships, you know, if, uh, if you, Dante, were friends with a man, or you, Rebecca, were friends with a woman, if it was one of you didn't like that friend, what would you do in that situation? 
It's kind of a broad question. I guess it depends yeah, what the issue gone. is. You know, uh, I think we are both, uh, we've been long enough together and serving the Lord long enough where <clears throat> we recognize people who might have a toxic component about them that we need to stay away from. Um, if, you're, if, you're, if your spouse just voc does vocalize something, then maybe you should pay attention to what's being said, why, you know, and kind of be objective to you know, what they're pointing out and, and actually trying to see, it's, is, is this something that's really affecting our relationship because that's a toxic person or mm. is your spouse manifesting some kind of uh, insecurity or something? Just kind of be a judge of where that source is coming from. But mm. uh, listen to what, what your spouse is saying and, you know, be and make that, make that call. Uh, you know, have to be definitely open to to that, to see you know because they could see be seeing something you don't see, and then if you're not willing to be open, then that in itself is a concern. You know, yeah. Because wife might raise a concern. Hey, uh, these guys like to do things that are kind of out of character with the way you are, and I, that kind of bothers me because these guys want to go out. <coughs> And do things that I'm concerned are going to start impacting you in a negative way. They have habits that are really kind of not healthy. And this is something uh, I think typically happens in young couples. Yeah. It does happen in older couples, but that's probably prevalent because there's been ongoing uh, unresolved issues. You know, that's that's a continual symptom of something that's going on with, you know, it happens on either, you know, the husband or the wife, it'll happen. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, from a very early age when I was in high school, I recognized, you know, who were healthy talk, uh, 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 relationships to be with and who were not. You know, some of those experiences were getting in the wrong car with, with who I thought were friends and going out to lunch and these guys are, are driving like maniacs on the street and I'm in the back seat, holding on for dear life, getting a little indignant with the driver running, you know, don't you care about your, you know, my safety or yours? Why are you driving like a nut, you know, and then. You know, okay, that's the last time I'll get in the car with you. You know, yeah, it's kind of an eye opening experience for me. Yeah, the way it was. Sure. I think that, um, and something I'm curious about your generation, you know, when you because I think about a lot about the you know, the woke culture mm -hmm. and the cancel culture, and I think to myself, man, their expectations are so high, like you can't mess up because you get canceled. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. Do you find that in your relationships, do you uh, feel like the level of expectation is there that anytime you slip, like, do they like immediately come without judging? Is I mean, is that a reality? Because that that's I'm thinking to myself that that's the way they are, you know, as you know, uh, you know, regarding, you know the famous people or people who, who are, you know, you know, in whatever platform, are, are they like that in their personal lives? I think it's like major extremes where it's like a very small thing mm -hmm. uh, could easily like offend or, oh, that was an awkward interaction. Oh, she kind of confronted me in a way I didn't like. 
I'm just going to avoid her from here on out or something like that. Or, mm-hmm. But then there's some where it's like, okay, you've been friends with this person for years and they just treat you terribly. You put up with it for years and you're not offended by that. That doesn't bother you. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it's this like deception and this blindness mm-hmm. to where why are you so easily offended by stuff that doesn't matter and you're not uh, taking seriously stuff that's like very harmful to you emotionally? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a blind spot in our generation. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a little bit off topic, but it's just, it kind of just came into my mind, so I want to say it. Um, one thing that's like very interesting for people my age, and I notice this, is like, okay, you can get to know someone and you're like becoming friends with them and you're like, this is really an awesome friendship. It is like the scariest thing in the world sometimes with some people, not all people, to actually make that first venture out. Like, hey, do you want to go get coffee together or something along those lines? Like, I'm just noticing that this generation, it is so scary to do that. And most of the time, they reject you. Do you think? A lot of the time. Do you think it's more, well, obviously it would be more to do with them than it is with you but do you think they recognize that as a fear within themselves or as a problem with you gosh that's a good question i really don't know to be honest um and maybe this is something only i've been experiencing Mm -hmm. uh but i I just noticed it maybe it's god just saying you don't need that many friends right now let me be your friend i don't know Mm -hmm. uh but yeah i've just felt this in like the last honestly after college because college was pretty good you could you could do stuff with people Mm -hmm. and but now it's just, you feel like a freak or like a stalker asking, mm-hmm. hey, can we go get coffee? Mm-hmm. Isn't that the weirdest thing? It is. Like, hey, I, I enjoy talking with you. We always have fun at work. Right, right, right. Can we become friends? You know, it's like, oh, um, um, uh, I don't think I, I don't think I could do that. You know, very mm-hmm. odd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People have different concepts of what it, what it means to be a friend. I mean, I some people so. have a lot of uh, defense mechanisms up that prevent them from enjoying an open, simple experience. Yeah. Like that. Now, there's a lot of hang-ups, unfortunately, that probably will come up when they get invited to go somewhere and they feel threatened. Mm. Maybe they feel like, you know, I'm going to expose some kind of flaw I have and I'll be judged or, you know, something like that. And so people just probably just hide in their safe zone and be miserable and you know and safe yeah and then venture out and watching enjoy life with friends you know (laughs) yeah netflix and chill and social media (laughs) it is because you like yourself i guess you're safer by yourself that's very attractive people find that very people find people very attractive who who portray self-confidence and a peace and a contentment with themselves because individuals like that are portraying stability, mm. strength. There's a strength in that. And people gravitate to people like that because that's mm. something that's appealing to them that they want in their life. And the way to be like that is to, is to allow you know, God to help you with your insecurity, what your insecurities are, be able to face them, you know, face them what they are and, mm-hmm. and, and, and replace the lies you believe with, the truth about what God says about you. Embrace the truth. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. It takes courage, but it's worth it. When I went through Mending the Soul, it took courage to be vulnerable with these guys I'd never met before, worked together for the next eight weeks. It takes courage for guys to sit in a room together and and 
and eventually become uh, vulnerable to one another. But boy, when you pass that threshold, it's life-changing. Mm. It changes you. And when you allow the Lord to, when you allow those issues, those vulnerabilities to come up and you're, you allow yourself to be open, you know, and ex- bring those things out, mm. the Lord will take those things and replace them with the strength. There's no vacuum. Yeah. When you when you confront your issues and you allow the Lord to minister and, and expose those issues, he replaces that with healing and with strength mm. it changes your perspective you know the truth is revealed who you really are whereas when we believe these these issues you know that when we believe these issues define our identity then you can't you operate according to you you we live and act according to our belief system mm-hmm. i mean these young people out there if you want a book that if you want to really discover your identity in Christ, Neil Anderson is a uh, prolific author about understanding who the you know who you are in Christ. He really focuses on illuminating the light on of the truth of what the Word says about our true identity in Christ. How we are, we are significant. We are, you know, we are valuable. We are precious to God and changes your perspective and changes your behavior yeah 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 i think you know there's freedom in it yeah there is so much freedom in it and it's like i I think that's what i think it's really probably a plot of the enemy to don't be vulnerable don't do this don't Mm. and it's for me personally it's gone so far to don't ask them to hang out because then you'll they'll think you're a freak for doing mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's it's these lies that the enemy continues to do. And yeah, yeah, the, it's it's pretty effective. It's pretty sure effective. It yeah. yeah. So but it's just stopping relationships. Mm-hmm. And and that's the number one thing because if you don't have relationships, mm-hmm. uh, you become you're a freak. Yeah. yeah. You're the isolated, isolated sheep. You're the one who's vulnerable to attacks. Right, yeah. Right. That's what, exactly what Satan wants. Yeah. Satan's worst enemy is a Christian who knows who they are in Christ. Yeah. That's his greatest threat. Wow. And he works overtime to prevent us from knowing that. Mm-hmm. Because his greatest threat that keeps him up at night is a Christian who knows who they are in Christ. Yeah, yeah. yeah we heard, it was Gateway actually. It was uh, one of the pastors that taught about isolation. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember, you know, that message. Not every detail of it. Yeah. It was so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you don't yes. think about that. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I don't know if he mentioned in it, but, you know, school shooters, they're usually white males that are just alone all the time. Mm. They're playing video games, but the video games aren't really it. It's They could be alone doing anything. Sure, sure. Um, but then you become weird if you're isolated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when you speak, people are like, what What you say? Mm-hmm. But whenever you're alone, you can say whatever you want. Uh, so sometimes it's good to have people around you that are like, why are you talking like that? Right. There's something wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing. It's yes. sharpening. It's a, you're putting yourself out there, exactly. but it's good. It's good. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the both of you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I told you it wasn't going to be that long. Uh, my mom is resting her head on the table. She's exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> 
yeah, I always say it doesn't have to be that long whenever I'm trying to convince people to do a podcast with me and it usually ends up being a lot longer than it should. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I'm just going to end it, uh, with just two recommendations for, uh, two things that you can listen to. Um, first one is a song from a chorus line called one. It's a really good song. Just look it up on YouTube. I really liked it. It's just, it's a jam. The next thing is uh, Megan Kelly podcast. I've already told you how much I love that podcast. I don't agree with everything on it, but I do really respect it and love it. Tim Dillon episode. Um, he's a comedian and it's just, it's like over two hours, but it's worth every second. It's just really entertaining to listen to. So uh, give those two things a listen. Um, thank you, Dante. Thank you, Rebecca, for joining me. And I'm going to end this thing. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast.